While Beauty Lab and Laser is a professional licensed medical facility, the hosts of this podcast are not medical professionals, nor do they claim to be. The opinions on this podcast are for entertainment only. Please seek a licensed medical professional for all medical questions. Hello, and welcome to Live Love Lab, the behind-the-scenes podcast from Beauty Lab and Laser. I am Heather, one of the owners of Beauty Lab. I'm joined by... Dre, and I'm smiling ear-to-ear right now. <laughs> Beaming. <laughs> Beaming, because she thinks we're going to say, together, we are... Drether. Yay! But that was that was just because she was smiling so broadly. (laughs) I didn't want to turn her down. I didn't want to disappoint you, Dre. Real talk, I am actually so excited because we're in this amazing studio right now. Yeah. Amazing. Very cool. And we're not sitting in the cool sculpting room. (laughs) With a lifetime picnic table. (laughs) And a single microphone. One yeti. Covered around a single microphone. (laughs) We are in like an epic, for real, for real, sound board, like, like authorized. It's a a real, legit studio. And it is all because of our special guest today. Our special, special needs guest. He is. <laughs> well, first of all, it's a man, which, which is, is why like, we're both giddy. Ah, I'm so excited. <laughs> Dre can't even talk. She's smiling so broadly. I'm, of course, being vulgar, which is what I do around men. Do you guys want me to put my clothes on now? Yes, please, please put your shirt back Get on. Dressed. Put your shirt on, back on. on. He's also, you guys, you if you want to know, like, if you want to know how hard it's going to be for me to concentrate, he's not only a man, but he's ripped. Yes. Wow. And Some might call him a bodybuilder. Some people might. Referred to as Instagram as a bodybuilder Instagram. Yeah. Possibly. And he's also sleeved. Yeah. So, so it's like all the things. Heaven help me. I know. Heaven help me get through. <laughs> heaven, heaven help me stick to the heaven. material. <laughs> Just so you know what? Eye contact with me. Okay, I, I, I'm, okay. I'm here. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> I, I can be professional. I can be professional. And wait, wait. Just the nail in the coffin is he has a criminal history, which well, is like, I mean, I know, I know, like you, it's like the perfect storm, convicted felon. of all the convicted felon. I never, okay, I'm going to have to switch positions with you. Let's just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm right yeah, here. Come listen, on. I have a, I have a supervisor. We're going to keep it together. We're joined by Brad Jensen. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> AKA the sober bodybuilder. Owner of Key Nutrition, um, our go-to place for all of our, our needs. Our fitness needs. Yes. But because Dre's a BNC and I'm a never tries, you should not judge their success or failure based on our body types. <laughs> but on the on a business and program that we both think is remarkable yes. and love and well, totally respect, have mad Absolutely. respect for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Brad, introduce yourself. Well, I didn't know how to quite finish it with that. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah, that was everything. That was so. everything. So <laughs> I mean, I'm a convicted felon. I'm now sober. And uh, I did some bodybuilding. And I do have a sleeve. And I do own key nutrition. So I think you summed up well. No, well, but- We summed it up. But now we want to know the nuts and bolts of how you got all those things. We want to hear a lot about the criminal history. <laughs> no, not so much. I mean, actually, just tell us, like, what is all the best about being the sober bodybuilder? Like, who are you? How did you get here? Yeah. And yeah. what's your story? Because you have the best story. A great story. Yes. Tell how us your story. How much detail do you want here? About uh, 15 to 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Dre's the timekeeper. You know what? I'll start giving you some hand signals. You'll know when it's time to wrap when it up, When she flips Brad. you off, wrap that means <laughs> we're over it. Just wrap it up. It's like, I was born a small black child in the woods. What movie? That Who knows that movie? 
I don't. It's a line from the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin. Oh, of course. Oh, oh, of, course. of course. Of course. Of course. Now, now that I've told you, <laughs> you recognize it. Okay, Brad, tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself and how you became the sober bodybuilder. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was a very nice introduction. <laughs> so no my pressure. name is Brad Jensen. I own Key Nutrition, and uh, we do nutrition coaching all things nutrition and fitness. So we'll get into that more. But um, my name on Instagram is The Sober Bodybuilder. And are you still a bodybuilder? No, but I'm still sober. So, Perfect. you so know, one a, out of two is pretty good. Yeah. I'm not closing the door that I would never compete again. Okay. It just, it's so all consuming that um, business has definitely taken the front seat. Right. Like, I could see if Key Nutrition is in a place where I could totally step back even more and that I would compete again. I'm not. I just know what it takes to get to that level and I'm not willing to sacrifice totally. what I know would happen. So, yeah. um, so I'm like, uh, ish body, so sober bodybuilder ish. I'm going to tell you, you look like a competitor to yes. me. Oh, thank you. Well, you are still allowed to claim it. Oh, thanks. That's good. <laughs> I mean, wearing the Speedo and a full spray tan certainly helped your cause this morning, yeah. but <laughs> you got, I thought that's what you guys requested. <laughs> Well, we did. Yes, we did. Okay, it's just getting awkward sitting here. I'm just not. Quite if you sh- want to put a shirt on, you can at the midpoint. <laughs> when I give you the hand signal. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. She has a hand signal for. You may you may redress yourself you now. May. Do I know the signal? You'll know. You'll know. Okay. Okay. Good. That's kind of the genius of it. So, so my story, um, in a nutshell, I'll try to sum it up pretty quick. But, um, is I was, uh, I'm. Where do I start? I, yeah. Start from that hot mugshot where you have like a cropped, like kind of cupy black haircut, and you're like just going like, "If like, I take my picture, rather right. effer." Oh, have you see yeah, that a oh, picture of him? I yeah, have. yeah. I look, I have full body chills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to see that picture, yeah, that's on my us, Instagram. Yeah, am I allowed is, to swear on your podcast? A hundred percent. Yeah, I was just a restless and irritable, discontent like kid growing up, and that's the only way I can describe it. That I don't believe that. Because I started doing drugs, I became a drug addict. Like innately, like I, I had this this ism in me, this alcoholism, this drug addiction in me, and then it manifested when I started using drugs. Like they didn't have the same response on me that they did my friends. Meaning, like I was like, "Fuck yeah, that's what I'm gonna do the rest of my life." I remember, um, you know, I was picked on a little, and just I was just kind of um, I can't. I always had anxiety, and I couldn't as a 10 or 12 year old describe that to my mom like, hey, I'm anxious today. Yeah. I just remember I was in so much fucking fear of everything and I didn't quite know why. And so I, I couldn't articulate that. So I just tried to go about my normal day. And, uh, you know, about 13, 14 years old, I, I got introduced to alcohol and I remember I took a drink and I was like, that is the worst. Like, why does whiskey taste like that? And about 10 minutes later, I was like, this is the fucking best. This <laughs> yeah. is what I love. Because you Give could kind more. of disconnect, you feel like, oh. or it made you just not feel that anxiety anymore. Yeah. For like yeah. the first time that I could like remember as a kid, just, I just felt like I could breathe. Yeah. And so I just chased that more and more. And, and along the way, I also found fitness. So what happened was, to sum up a lot of years, was I found fitness. I was kind of a chubby little kid, and I would take my bike to Barnes & Noble and, and read. Uh, they didn't 
right now I could just fucking Google it. That would have been great. <laughs> like, this is not <laughs> the way that I thought the story would start. Those were the days. Barnes and he Noble. He was a, a troubled youth at Barnes and yeah. Noble. <laughs> perusing the historical right. fiction yeah. stacks. <laughs> like what were you reading at, at the old Barnes and Noble? Muscle and fitness, okay. men's health, oh, um, the, the encyclopedia of bodybuilding by Arnold. So what happened? I was there with my mom because that's back when people still bought books. I'm right. shocked Barnes and Noble's still around to be it honest. But it is the last real. like blockbuster. Um, yeah. yeah. The Starbucks that's keeping yeah. them alive. <laughs> right? No, seriously. Yeah. So she was shopping for books and I remember I just stumbled into like the magazine section. I picked one up and I was immediately just like hooked. I can't like, and that's been my passion ever since. Nothing held my interest in school. I was a very mediocre student. I had ADD. I couldn't pay attention. And all my teachers would be like, you're, you're going to fail. And I'm like, I don't really care. And my mom would be like, you. <laughs> so I got like just enough to pass always. And that was the first thing that grabbed my attention. I was so enthralled. And I remember I just kept reading and reading and reading. And, and uh, so I kept going back there because I was like a 14-year-old kid. And I didn't really have any money. So I'd go back and I'd read the books after school. And I finished the whole encyclopedia of bodybuilding by Arnold. I, every, every single magazine that came out. Um, and I was hooked. And so I got really into fitness. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just going off these what the magazines were telling me, but my body changed and I started getting outside validation. I was like, this is it. Like, yeah. I love this. But along that way, I'd kind of quit drinking because I read how bad drinking was for you. And like, I thought I would just instantly lose all my muscle, which wasn't really the case, but that's what I believe. So, but I still like had, I couldn't describe it other than that. I thought like getting buff and getting attention and getting the hot girl in school would be like, make me feel complete, but I still was in so much fear and anxiety and restless and irritable and discontent. Like I couldn't describe it, but you know, and somewhere along that way, I think it was my junior year of high school. I got, I uh, was at a party and my buddy's like, don't bring in your fucking muscle milk again, dude. Like, I'm not going to have, like, it's so embarrassing when everyone's drinking and I'm pulling out my ready to drink muscle, protein yeah. shakes. You're like, here's my shake. Yeah. 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 My carrot sticks and hummus. He was, I, I mean, Abercrombie shirt with the hoop earrings, yeah. the, the puka shell necklace. Yeah. Oh, and I, I was, was jacked. It was such a look. I was jacked. I'll have to show you guys a picture I found of my More junior year. More jacked than you are now? No, but for a junior in high yeah. school. Yeah, like, I was you're like, like getting the girls. Yeah. and uh, With your muscle milk. He was like, don't you want to party? I'm like, more than anything, dude, but I got to go to the gym tomorrow morning. And he said, well, I've got these pills I got from my mom. They're pain pills. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not in any pain. I was kind of naive. And yeah. he was like, no, they make you feel like you're drunk, but you don't have a hangover the next day. I'm like, sweet, give them to me. So I took them. And that was like, when I took that, I remember thinking like, this is what I want to chase the rest of my life is yeah. this feeling. I'm going to, I'm going to maintain this balance of fitness and high and. Yeah. And numb. And numb. Yeah, I loved it. Like yeah, we're working on that as well. <laughs> Personally, yeah. in fact, how? In fact, what were the pills? Yeah. And what yeah. was the dose? Yeah, <laughs> hydrocodone yeah. seven point fives, and I took two of them. And I remember just thinking, this is what I want the rest of my life. So I loved it. I loved it so much that by my senior year, I was driving. Uh, I, I linked up with these older guys, and they talked me into somehow driving down to Tijuana. And I'd go to the pharmacy is, and I would stuff my door panels full, and then I put the Holy door panels shit. back on. Holy! And I drive through. I liked you five minutes ago. <laughs> but but it was almost like idiot savant. Like I was right. so naive the amount of felonies I was committing driving through like federal state lines yes. with drugs. Like yes. I was just the Filling first time door I door panels. What kind of car did you have? A Pontiac Sunfire. Wow! Oh and gosh. I would take them wow. off, Best and I would. Podcast we've ever done. <laughs> I would fill them up with somas and pain pills and steroids and everything. And I'd come back and 
you know, I would give some to these older guys and they would, they would then, instead of paying me money, they would let me keep a lot. So then I started selling them. And that's honestly my first like entrepreneurial journey was no, I, I started distributing all of these. You've been a businessman since <laughs> you were 17 yeah, years Yeah, that's old. what I say. A hundred percent. I was, I was making moves and I was just like distributing them to all these high schools. Meanwhile, just not really understanding the totality at all. So the first yeah. time I was nervous when went down, didn't get caught. The second time I was like, let's do this. So I ended up going down four times. And I remember my mom found a briefcase when I was a senior, and she was a little concerned. Maybe she I was, was up like to something. Still, okay. Yeah, she's she a popped, senior in high school. She popped it open, and I mean, just copious amounts of prescription drugs. Oh. Well, first of all, I'm just gonna like I'm gonna call you on your police work there, Larry, because a briefcase. You're a senior in high school. I know. Yeah. Why, why not an OGO bag or a JanSport backpack? Okay, I'm just gonna call you out <laughs> on your criminal. Abilities. Here's, here's a why. Briefcase. The briefcase yeah. had a lock combination. The problem was I didn't even set the combination, so my mom yeah. opened it. Oh, so yeah. Great. I mean, great. it's oh hey, you live and you learn. But what's funny was, <laughs> I remember me not to go into any business ventures in the future. <laughs> I, you know, that's how we learn. That's so, how we learn. Um, you know, she found it, and I remember she asked me about it, and. I lied and yeah, she she one? knew it was a lie, but okay. she just like, I was very adamant that like, but I what needed was this. your lie? That's what I'm I don't even remember. remember. It's for the I, yeah. football team. Yeah. I'm the manager I, now. I said, oh, it's not, I don't remember. I really don't. It's not mine or something. But um, yeah, and that just continued. And then she didn't after. Turn you into the cop. No. Shout no. out, Sister Jensen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's not a sister anymore. Okay, shout She's out to the cutest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we know her. Yeah. Um, she, uh, yeah, and it just spiraled from there. And like to sum up a lot of years, I was already fully addicted and didn't really know I was. And I, I'm being serious that there was some naivety. I knew they were addictive, but I never ran out. Like I never had to go a day without. And I wasn't, I was like at that time, I was able to manage it. I was still pretty jacked and I was going to the gym and I would do just enough. Like I was, like that I wasn't like so out of my mind I couldn't go to school and you know I had money and I, I thought this is the life and I remember I went down to uh to Lake Havasu with the, these older guys that I thought were so cool now I'm looking back I'm like they were fucking losers right yeah. and I got down there and I realized after driving what eight ten hours that I had left all my pills and I was like shit and I was like, I'll be all right. I knew that there was such a thing as withdrawals, but I didn't know what they were because I'd never ran out in about 10 months. Yeah. Like I always had some. And I went through the most gnarly withdrawals. And I remember I was puking. I was shitting my brains out. It was oh, horrible. And gosh. I was shaking. I was shivering. This guy comes up to me. He said, kid, I don't want to see you like this. He said, hey, I've got something. They'll make you feel better. And I said, you got some oxy? And he said, no, I've got some heroin. And I remember immediately I was like, no, that's, a, that, no, yeah, that's, that's gross. Line. That's a line. And I went through about another hour of shaking and shivering and sweating. And I said, give it to me. And he was like, cool. So he pulled out a needle. And that was the first time I ever done heroin. I shot it up. And I remember right after it hit me, I, it was crazy. Just in a blink of an eye, I felt a, a million times You're better. Healed. Yeah. And... I remember I was just like enthralled with this. And he looked at me and he said, kid, your life's never going to be the same. I apologize for doing that for you. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to keep doing heroin. Like I'm yeah, going to go back and do my pills. Yeah, this is just to get me through. This is a patch. This is just like a safety. And then I'm going to get home. And I'll get back to my routine. I'll yeah. Be okay. And it didn't happen. I mean, it just, I just continued to do heroin. And so 
you know, I, uh, it, it got, my parents found out pretty quick and within, uh, within a couple of years of graduating high school, so 2005, I went to, uh, went to my first inpatient rehab. And so, um, and that kind of started to plant the seed, but I really thought like, no, I just need to not do heroin. Like get back to my pills, to my workout. Yeah. Schedule, you know, and, and I'm like, maybe, you know, I'll do, I'll do different pills. I won't do opiates because I don't want to go through these withdrawals again. And I'll drink, I'll do some muscle relaxers, I'll do some cocaine. Like, I really just thought heroin was my problem. So I was dead set. I finished that treatment program and I was dead set on making it just like that was my problem. So immediately right out of of the treatment center, I met, you know, I met the one in there. She was my girlfriend for about a week. Right. Who could blame her? I mean, he walked in, she was like, and And done. Yeah. Yep, you are mine. Signed, sealed, delivered. So we went and got drunk together and went to the bar and uh, went to the club. And and within a week, I was back shooting heroin. And oh, wow. the cycle just continued and it just went on and on. And so for a decade, so I tried to get, well, I tried to get sober in 2005. I started using heavily in 2002. I got sober in 2012. And wow. during that time, there was countless vain attempts to stay sober. I would try... You know, I would get sober for four or five months and then that lurking urge would come back. And what I realized was, is I had, I had, I had done a little bit of work, but never enough to fully like recover. Yeah. And like. Just like midstream. Yeah. And so I, um, it would just kept, you know, they told me in that first treatment center, they said it gets worse, never better. Like I've yet to meet a heroin addict that's like, oh, I used to do that so heavy. Now I just on a maintenance dose of <laughs> yeah. morning and night, you know, like yeah. it just, I haven't heard it. Been there, done yeah. that. I've heard, you know, people who have a heavy drinking problem who are an alcoholic, I've heard of them be like, I cut back. I just drink sure. wine on weekends now. Yeah. But with the alcoholic or the full-blown addict, especially when you look at like heroin, like I just haven't met that person yeah. yet, but I was I was determined to be that guy or determined to beat the system. And so it just, each relapse progressively got worse and worse. And, you know, it, it was pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Like I ended up just by the end, you know, and what, what's crazy was, sorry, this is longer than 15 minutes. I'll try to wrap no, it up. No, it's okay. No, I don't. Love this. No, we're fascinated. Awesome. I, um, you know, I still kept up this facade, like. There was periods of time where I was doing heroin, like regular basis. I managed a Gold's Gym. My parents thought he's doing so good. I was jacked. I was, I mean, I was also- physically fit. You looked physically like- Yeah. The epitome of health. And I had thought- But you're shooting heroin. Yeah. And like, it was this, like, and I wasn't telling many people I would use alone, but it appeared like I was doing good. And I started to believe that. Like no one looked at me and thought, oh, he's a heroin addict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would cover my tracks with, um, with makeup. And to be honest, this sleeve that you talked about in the intro. Yeah, which is very hot. The reason it came up was, A, I, got, I had to cover up a really bad tattoo that had a misspelled word. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it was really small. It said, life's a gambell. I'm all in, not gamble. Oh, okay. oh shoot. Amazing. <laughs> the L and the E were just switched. I don't even that know was if an easy mistake to make. gambell's yeah. a word, yeah. but. Life is a gambell. Yeah. <laughs> Never forget. So I got it to cover up that, but one reason I have the sleeve is because you can even see some of the tracks still in my right arm, and that's been almost seven years, and they, I was right-handed, so they were really oh, sure. bad. Yeah. But I would cover those tracks with makeup, but that facade led me. I just, I really, I thought like I got this beat, 
Like yeah. I got to be like no one like, even I'm knows. I'm the one guy managing heroin. Yeah. And then it just it just starts to take over. And it and it would take over more and more and then I got fired from that job and you know, and then I would okay, I got to get sober again and I would do that dance and back and forth. And by the end, like what they told me in that first treatment center was like it's going to get worse never better and heroin acts either end up in jail um institutions or death like or you recover yeah, those yeah, are your three, options yeah three four options the fourth option rarely happens the recovery option yeah and i started getting in a lot of trouble because by that point i'd lost lost the the apartment i'd lost the job and i was having to start committing a lot of criminal acts to support my 200 dollar a day heroin habit which when you don't have a job i mean still look back i'm like man how did they do that yeah yeah well you're like, always an entrepreneur yeah i mean honestly i mean i'm not no bones about it like yeah you could make things happen you could turn spin i think of entrepreneurs as people that can spin straw into gold yeah you know you find an opportunity you see opportunities where other people don't see them you see ways to make money you see ways to monetize things and it's like it's a mindset it's your superpower yeah it's a superpower you, and you, ha you had it, it. Good. you always had it yeah no and you know what like no and I, I i see that now and it was only when i opened key that i even got more grateful for my past and you know i i, I would try to make shifty moves and i was trying to do my best to stay out of trouble but those few times where i woke up so sick like every morning i'd wake up dope sick and and chills and shivering and the anxiety was paralyzing and i was like okay i'm just gonna go like rob somebody i'm gonna do something do whatever it takes to get it and so i started catching crime i started catching charges so i ended up with 17 That's bookings what criminals say catching charges oh, it's like that. catching a cold yeah or Cat, feelings. Ca caught a charge yeah, or feelings which yeah of course they never do yeah <laughs> never never so i had 17 bookings in the county jail of which eight i stayed um, four of which I did any kind of like a little bit of time on. I'm not like a super cool convict because I didn't go to prison. And but what was sad was that was my goal at the end was just to go go to go up go to the prison. Because available in prison. Yes. Yeah. County jail. It's rough. Like yeah. But prison, so, you can get it. Wow. So I know this. I started. Yeah. This is crazy. So I started catching all these not charges, <laughs> and I would get arrested, and it was almost kind of a relief when I finally would because I would sober up, but. I just kept doing this dance and by the time I got out of uh so I did a year in jail in 2011 to the very beginning of 2012. And were you sober in jail? This time I was. Okay. okay. Every other time, I mean, you can't do much, but like some people some people would occasionally be able to like sneak some heroin in like that got booked in or, or like drink hooch. Yeah, like or like we were like <laughs> People, some of like I read the, a lot of novels. <laughs> Dostoevsky. Yeah, I was a shifter. I was making moves, and I was always I trading my were. commissary and yeah. trading my honey You're, buns. You can't, you can't remove the entrepreneurial spirit from you. You can't. No, I would always hustle the homeless yeah. guys to get their razors because they only gave you one, and I shaved my whole body in there still. Oh, <laughs> I, I would love that. Oh my <laughs> commitment. Yes, That's commitment. commitment. And commitment. so this last time I was, and what's crazy was I. So I sat in there in jail and. You know, I really wanted to stay sober. In fact, I didn't just want to. I finally was ready. Like I had had enough time. I'd never had that much clean time. Right. I wasn't in recovery, but I was clean. But I was still talking about all the same shit in there. But like in my head, I believed that I was going to get sober. So I, I got out of jail and I got out January 26th of 2011. My, my belly button birthday, like my, my birthday yeah, um, is January 31st. I remember my mom before I got out said, this is the first time you're going to show up 
to a birthday sober. Like, I'm so excited. Like, I just missed them in the past, yeah. or I would show up so high that they would be like, okay, happy birthday, leave. Yeah. <laughs> Don't eat the candles, Bradley. Yeah. yeah. Don't. Yes. Don't eat the candles. She would always check her spoons because I would cook heroin with spoon. Like, you had to cook heroin with a spoon. And so yeah. she'd always make sure there's no spoons missing when I was there. And and I was so excited too, and I was saying all the right things. But I, I, I always try to give this parallel to my to my clients was, like I had I had said I wanted to do it, and like I was ready to do it. I just had put in zero work, and when I got out, I instead of going to a meeting or linking up with all the sober people I'd met in the past that yeah. were still sober and living great lives, go fucking figure, right? <laughs> I got out and I went to the and. The gym's important, but I went to the gym. I went tanning. Like I did tanning all these things first, lives. right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll get to a meeting eventually. And January 30th, so I'd been out four days. It came back so hard, like the, the compulsion crazy. to use. And I remember my heart started to race. I was sweating. My palms were. You knew your birthday was the next And I was day. like, don't do it, bro. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I was like, just one time. Just one day. And I'm like, it's not going to be one time. It's never one time. Yeah. Like, and. I, it was so baffling to me that I've been clean so long, yet like it came back so strong. And so I, I called my old dealer, but it had been like a year. And I'm like, he probably has a different number now or he's in prison again. Who knows? If he doesn't answer, then I'm good. But if he, an and he answered and he was like, yeah, I'm downtown. Um, going to come down. And I was like, okay, I'll be down there. And my heart was racing and I start driving down there and I'm crying as I'm driving down there because I couldn't lie to myself that it would just be one night. Like right. I knew once I started, it was like off to the races. And especially that last couple of years, like the year before I got locked up, it was just like, okay, here's another bender. It could last two days. It could last two years. Who knows? Like, and I went and uh, I picked some up and needless to say, I didn't show up to my birthday party. And it was just off to the races. So that was January 30th, 2012. And I didn't draw another sober breath because my, my pattern was I would use hard for usually two to four months and hard. And then something would intervene. My parents would put me in rehab back in the day. They quit doing that because they're like, okay, we're like $70,000 in debt yeah. and you're not sober. So, mm -hmm. or the cops were a really good intervention. But what had happened is I terminated my probation. I terminated all charges by doing that year. So I wasn't on the run anymore. Oh, the cops sure. weren't after me. Sure. And it just kept going. And I remember it just like, and it was, it got worse and worse. And I decided that year that it would be a really good idea because I, the cocaine, I would always use cocaine with heroin so I could actually, because I needed to shift and make yeah, yeah, moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't just sit there and drool you on myself. You had to have activity level. So I made the conscious decision by graphing all out how much money I would save that I was going to start doing meth. Now I'd done some meth in the past and it made me fucking batshit crazy. So I did, I, I started doing meth so I could have energy and save money because it's so much cheaper and you, it lasts so long. And meth is actually what brought me to my knees because it introduced me to a group of people still to this day that I just scratch my head about. Like heroin's a very loner drug. Meth is like, you're ending up with white supremacists breaking down people's doors <laughs> with bats and crowbars and I'm with convicted murderers and I'm, I'm in double wides and magna yeah. and it just got crazy. But it was like- You couldn't I, deny the reality of your life, of your existence. Right? And I remember about June of that year, like it, I hadn't talked to my parents and like I was just a full blown junkie. I looked like it. Um, I was like 180 pounds, 170 pounds. I was like, I, 
I'm no good more working out. No more. No, no more life balance at no all. No at all. Like my diet consisted of a Slurpee and a Jumbo Twist from Seven Eleven. That I would go in to get the Jumbo <laughs> Twist when they were throwing out the ones because they were getting the new shipping. Because two a.m. was a very normal time for me to be yeah, up. I believe that. Like craziness. Yeah. And I'm living in these weird hotels. My mom would still enable me and get me like a month at this extend to stay in West Valley that was oh, just like drug central because she didn't want me actually sleeping on the streets. But what she didn't know was I'd just then let the dealers come live with me, sell drugs out of there, and I'd yeah. get high for free. Yeah. And so I remember that time I just thought, you know what? Like instead of thinking of trying to get sober, just be a junkie. And so like just embrace this. Like yeah. this is what you are. And so – I just went at it like and I just for I remember for the first time stopped having guilt about it. I was like, this is who I am. Like, let's go. And I ended up in some awful situations and saw awful things happen to people and watched people get tortured and kidnapped. And like and, and there there's so many stories that I finally told once I got sober. And when I told them, it was like this release of emotion because I watched this poor girl just get tortured over $30 drug debt. And I was scared for my life. And I look back and it was just the only life I knew at that point. It was so normal. And, um, you know, during that time too, I'd stop by my parents and this is funny. Paul was happened to be there. And my mom said, you can't be here. Cause they didn't trust me. I'd stolen yeah. from them and they knew I was high and I would brought weird people there. And she told me I had to leave. And I'm like, I'm just getting some food. Leave me alone. And my mom's like, no, you have to leave. And Paul got in my face. You have to ask him the story about him eating peanut butter. And he was, he was eating peanut butter off a spoon and i i think i decked him or pushed him so hard the peanut butter flipped back hit him in the face pj got some peanut butter to the PJ. face yeah yeah wow. i think i never fully made an amends for that well, we'll and then i right now for you amends. my mom says amends. i'm gonna call the PJ cops for the pb <laughs> and i took off and to sum all that up sorry that was really long it got really I bad and i um I finally, in November of that year, um, I was, I, I, I'd been staying, letting this guy stay with me that the, you know, I left for a little bit and I came back to this ghetto hotel and there was 20 cop cars and federal marshals and he had actually just murdered somebody he was staying with a month prior. Holy oh shit. And I was like, is this real? Yeah, like this is my reality. Like, you're and I remember partly, I'm but... asking the cop, like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, he's wanted for murder. He shot a girl in the face. Is this your room? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, okay, you, you need to stay here and we need to question you. And I just denied anything that I knew because I yeah. didn't know shit. And I remember I was like, okay. Like, it scared me bad enough that I'm like, no more. Okay. Like, you could die if you were it, to stay. I think like, it, it finally became real. On that face, path, yeah. basically. It's yeah. funny, I, I stopped being scared about the drugs killing me because heroin addicts with huge tolerances generally don't die. It's people who relapse or haven't used okay. a lot and use, like, and I then just. go back and get some. I wasn't really scared of the drugs killing me, but I started to get scared that I was, like, messing with the wrong people and that I was going to die. Yeah. And it was this glimmer of hope, this moment of clarity that I was just like, I need to get sober. And so for the first time. I got on my knees and prayed, and I don't even know what I was praying to. Um, and I was just like, if so something, I, I need help. Like, I need a sign. Like, yeah, I need something. Please, like, I'm willing. Like, put something. And it, two weeks went by, and uh, I got a call that my grandfather died. And I was bummed out. And my mom said, I'm going to come pick you up for the funeral in three days. Let me know wherever you're staying. And she said, please, just have it together. Yeah. I was like, okay. Hmm. Of course, that's the morning I ran out of my drugs. And so... Um, I, she picked me up and I was so sick from withdrawals 
that I was telling her to pull over and I would throw up and I was, she was just crying. She said, what do you need? And I said, you need to stop at the dealer's house. And so this little nice lady stops at the dealer's and then I ask her for 20 bucks to add insult to injury. Right. I go in and I get it and I come back out and she said, what do you need to do now? And I said, I'm just going to hop in your back seat. So, you know, and I tell this story because if anybody, I just think addiction is so, like, this wasn't supposed to be me. I came from a great family, had everything provided for me, upper to middle class. I was the only drug addict in the family. My my dad wasn't a crackhead or in prison. No. My mommy didn't show me how to shoot drugs. Right, you're like, from Southern, I mean, not Southern, you're from Utah. You I'm know, from like Utah. I'm from Central, Murray, Utah. Murray, Utah like, like East Side, Utah. It just wasn't supposed to happen. Like, this wasn't supposed to be me. And it was nothing that my parents raised me. Like, I believe that this was my my trial to go through in life. And now I look back and it's only in hindsight that I see how much it's helped me. So she looked in her rearview mirror and I'll, and I'll end, end the story with this, but she she was looking back at me and I'm, I'm cooking it up and she's watching and she's crying. But like, she also knows she can't bring me like this. Like the withdrawals were so vicious yeah. that I, I could not function. And so she watched me shoot up. And I remember like trying not to look at her as I'm doing it, but I can see her looking in the rearview mirror and she's crying. And I was just like, did you either need to get sober or you need to kill yourself? Like, and I, I wasn't a suicidal guy. Like, I honestly wasn't. Like, in fact, all the drug dealers hung out with me because I always made them laugh. They're like, oh, you're, you're the funny guy. Come hang out with you're us. happy-go-lucky, yeah. I tried to be out yeah. there, you know? And I remember just thinking, you either need to kill yourself or you need to get sober. You can't keep doing this to your family. You can't keep doing it to yourself. And, you know, I, I got well and went to the funeral, but everyone looked at me. I mean... I had, I was the only one not dressed up in any clothes because I didn't have any. Yeah, I had You're jet a drug black hair. On the street. Jet black hair. Very good look though, by the yeah, way. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. And uh, I was, you know, thirty pounds underweight. And I look back at pictures from that, and I was just like, oh my gosh. Your mom is a soldier, man. I know. And so that night, oh. driving home, um, I got dropped off at my house, which was a crackhead motel. I was very resourceful. I was homeless for like the better part of a year and I never slept on the street once. Well, wow. willingly one time I did because I thought the feds were in my room. It turns out nobody was in my room. Oh boy. Yeah, in the bushes, <laughs> hit all night. Wow. And so I, um, I got pulled over that night. I got dropped off, met up with this kid and uh, I almost hit a cop merging on the freeway on 5300 South. And I looked behind me and the cop flashes lights on. Kid tells me the car is stolen. Oh my God. So it turns out he just stole it from his mom, which actually really helped me. I didn't know that at the time. And he was like, I'm like, dude, I'm just going to pull over. And he's like, oh, try to try to outrace him. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, we're in like a Hyundai Elantra. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's not gonna, we're not. It's not a Tesla. Races here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I pulled over and the lights flipped on behind me. And I remember that was the first time that I just, I surrendered. Like I was, the guy, cop came up. He's like, do you have a license registration? I'm like, don't have a license. This car apparently is stolen. I need to go to jail. And he was like, whoa, whoa, chill out. And he went back to his car and he comes back and he goes, oh, shit. Okay. You're actually telling the truth. You, you need to come with me. I'm like, all right. So the cop took me to jail and he said, why are you so excited to go to jail? And I said, man, I, I'm just done. Like, yeah. this has been a rough year and it's cold. And I'm done. Like, I'm just beat up. And he was like, yeah, you know how many times I've heard that from the back of a cop car? And I said, you know how many times I've said it from the back of a cop car? And he kind of chuckled and, uh, I went to jail and that's, that was the last, that was November 19th, November 20th. Um, I woke up and went through the withdrawals and it was horrible. And I said things like, I'm going to kill myself. And they put me in the crazy padded room and I just 
sat and shivered on the floor on this concrete. And I remember just thinking, this is the last time I'm going to have to do this. Yeah. There was something, I don't know if my grandfather or what, but there was something that just was like, battle through it. You know, after about day five, you feel better. Like just bat- this is the last time you have to do it. Wait it out. And so I did it. And um, I got out of jail and I went, I went to a meeting instead of my typical move was having the drug dealer come pick me up. So, I, you know, when I went left, like left to post to right, so to speak, and I made a post about this, it's like one decision can change the whole trajectory of your life. Totally. So you got to choose wisely. And like, I did the right thing and I went to a meeting and I had nowhere to stay. My parents were like, sorry, love you, but you're not coming home. Mm-hmm. I, I only did 30 days in jail. Sorry. I only did 30 days okay. because the charges were dropped against me Oh. Okay. because the kid fessed up, the mom dropped the charges or I, they called me, I thought I was going to court and they said, you're going home. And I'm like, what? For a stolen car? Okay. But it was just enough time for me to sober up. And in that 30 days, I sat in my room and I read. I didn't go hang out with all the guys. I didn't go get into the drug scene. I didn't go barter and trade. And and uh, I've been sober ever since. And like, it's not been an easy battle. It's not been an easy journey. But today, it's really easy. People ask me, oh my gosh, it must be so hard. I'm like, fuck no. If it was, I wouldn't be here. Like, it's not hard anymore. It was extremely hard that first 90 days and maybe even up to a year-ish. But now, like, what's hard is just for me not to be a selfish prick and, like, all these other things that come along with it. So. That's amazing. Brad, I mean, (laughs) I don't know that we even need to continue the podcast. I know, just like, amen. I know. Sorry, that was not 15 minutes. No, I, that was, I mean, I've heard like pieces of your story before I never had but heard not the that. whole story and that is inspiring i love like one thing that you said that's like kind of a trigger word for us is that surrender and like do you think that that's what it was because i mean obviously you had been through rehab you'd done you know all of the things you'd gone through the motions but like do you feel like for you it was about that this was just the time like it was it was a shift in your mind that, no, this is the last time I'm doing it. I'm going to surrender to that, that it, I can't keep going on. Yeah. Do you feel like that was kind of it for you? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, 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 you know, it's, I can't explain other than like, I had to find a rock bottom that I didn't know existed. And I'm not saying every alcoholic or drug addict has to, I had to, like I was provided every opportunity to get sober, but I would never surrender to the full process. And I remember early on, this guy came up to me in a meeting and he said, you knew? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, kid, let me tell you, there's only one thing you got to change. And I'm like, sweet. And he says, that's fucking everything. Good luck. (laughs) And he walked away. And I remember thinking, fuck him. What a prick. And I did. I changed everything. People, places, things. I And I just said, you know what? I'm going to give this this 12-step recovery deal a shot. Like, it's fucking free. Like yeah. you go to meetings it's for free. Right? You have a sponsor that's like a coach for, for free. free. Like go try it. And that at that meeting, a guy that my that meeting I went to, he said, "Do you need to ride home?" And I said, "I do. I don't have a home though." And he said, "Okay, I'll let you come stay at my house, but please don't rob me. Or I'll kill you." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> wow. So we let me stay it's there. God's work. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. And you know, sitting, I ended up renting a room from him. I started waiting tables again. Um. Not again for the first time. I don't want well, to say Did you again. feel like you're white knuckling it? Like, how long did you feel like you're white knuckling it to stay sober? Do you still feel like you're white knuckling it? To oh, stay no, sober? not at all. How not long did, all. how long is that feeling of like, of 
you know, just getting through it. Yeah, like, get, every getting day through, is a like challenge. ripping on with everything you have. Like all of your emotional and physical energy is focused on staying sober. How long does that last for? You know, probably about. I mean, I think it's different for everyone, but when I bought into the process and I said, you know, what? I got nothing else going for me, like. I, I went to a meeting every single day. I got a sponsor. I was doing everything he asked me to do. I was journaling. I was doing, I was praying and I didn't even know what I was praying to because I, I didn't believe in like the God of like that I was brought up with, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll just pray. I don't have any, like I was doing everything and it was, it was a battle, but I linked up with a lot of people and I just, it took an army to get me sober. And like, I started like just getting numbers and I would call them when I was craving, but it was probably that first 90 days. And what happened was at at about 90 days sober, things were going good. So I thought, and I was waiting tables at this restaurant and I got that urge and it came back so strong and my hands started to shake and I'm sweaty. And I remember I asked one of the Mexican bussers, do you have any Coke? I said, do you have any Coke on you? And he goes, no, no, but I'll get you some one minute. And all of a sudden my heart started racing. I was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And so I, I went up to, to the manager on shifts and I said, I'm leaving. I have to leave. He knew I was in recovery. And I said, I, I just have to leave. And I need you to trust me. I'm so sorry. Please don't fire me. And I took my apron off and I left. And I remember I called my sponsor and I said, I just want to use, dude. I don't know what came over me. And he says, yeah. just, just sit on your hands. Don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. Drive home. Call me when you get home. Let's talk more. And I fought that urge all night and I kept calling people. I'd call people at two in the morning and these fuckers were answering. I was like, of course. and they were trying to talk me out of it. And I woke up the next morning finally. I passed out and I remember I woke up and it was the first time I'd ever even wanted to use half that bad, half that bad I've used in the past and I didn't use. And I just cried happy tears of gratitude that like I could finally do it. And from that moment on, I think the white knuckling stopped. It's like that one test of like, And through that, like when I started to get more recovery and I went through the steps and I started looking at like, why did I use drugs? Like what? And I was in a lot of therapy too. So like my parents did pay for therapy, which was awesome. How long did it take after, how how many days sober were you before you approached your family again or before they were willing to like, you know, my mom started talking to me after a couple months. I mean, after like that first month, she would be in communication. Um, It was a couple months till I was like, you know, I came over for a family party And it was about six months that I felt like I was starting to get a little bit of trust back, but they didn't give me shit. And I'm so grateful for that. Like I had a two door that was really a fucking one door. The passenger side didn't open. (laughs) They're trying to date girls when I'm like, hop through the driver's side. (laughs) Literally. No radio. I bought it for $500. It was a Mitsubishi Eclipse that was like completely gutted. And I'm so grateful that they let me fall and that they, they started to show me love verbally and said we're here for you and we love you but we're not going to give you anything like you Mm -hmm. have to figure this out Mm -hmm. and i'm so grateful that like and and i got back into nutrition coaching um you know it was about four months sober and i remember it just started when i started to live my life on fulfillment like the white knuckling stopped i got back doing what i love to do and i remember this client looked at me and she said "I i finished up with her and I don't even remember what hurdle we'd worked through. And I'd just been doing it again about a month. And she started to cry and she says, I am so grateful for you. You've helped change my life in more ways than you know. And I remember the feeling I got was so intense. I left there and I was just on cloud nine. I was happy crying. I was playing some Demi Lovato song, <laughs> singing it at the top of my lungs, driving home. And 
It was the first time, sadly, at 28 years old that I'd ever felt grateful my whole entire life. Like truly wow. grateful. And I was like, holy shit, this is the feeling I was chasing with drugs. Yeah. Okay. And that's why I'm just so big on gratitude. I, I talk to my clients about the time and they're like, what the fuck does this have to do with my fitness? I'm like, everything. Because when I'm truly grateful, like I don't get, I'm not complaining too. And you're not searching. No. Like everything in that moment is okay. And I think, you know, getting back to what I love, like really helped. I just didn't have to white knuckle it after that. It was those two moments that kind of catapulted me. And ever since then, like I just, people talk about this pink cloud in sobriety. I, I, I must still be riding it because I just yeah. love being sober. And like, yes, I surrendered back then. And it was crazy because we're taught to be, we're taught to be courageous and have courage. Um, but don't like tell everyone your shit and be vulnerable. Like Brene Brown talks about it and just right. resonated so much with me that I was finally, I surrendered and through that I got super vulnerable. Mm. Looking at that guy and saying, I don't have a place to live. Before yeah. I would have made up some lie yeah. and then I would have been like, shit, where do I go? And then I'm like, I know the dope dealers. Like I know they'll let me stay there. I just was like, I don't have anywhere to go and but I don't have really any money. Honest, yeah. it sounds like too. Like honest and humble and, and which is vulnerability yeah. truly yeah. yeah yeah and through that like it just you know it, it i started nutrition coaching again and i worked for this other place for a lot of years and and about two and a half years ago well about six months prior to that i got this i just couldn't stomach working for somebody else anymore yeah. like it well, just felt could, like of I course was, you're an entrepreneur yeah. you're born an you're entrepreneur a you're a hustler heart. and yeah. i didn't know that and I started listening to different content. I was like, I feel suffocated. Like, and I'm just in this cap. Like, this is as many clients as I can see. This is the most money I can make. Yeah. And it wasn't even about the money. I just felt like contained. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't breathe. Wait, so Brad, when did you start key nutrition? February of 2017. So we're like we're on the like same the trajectory. Same That's age. what I'm saying. We're like, we're the same entrepreneurial age because we launched Beauty Lab officially May of 2017, but yeah. we started our business together 2017, yeah, January. January. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so we officially right the same thing. We officially launched in March. That is so awesome. Yeah. Well, I love like just the stuff that you were saying about your family and like how it sounds like it did take some time to have some healing, but it's interesting because if you didn't know that whole story, I mean, you base I consider your business to really be a family business. Like you have your sister working with you, who we all love, Michelle, and you have um Trisha, who is your sister-in-law that works there too. Like I guess Paul got over the peanut butter and allowed <laughs> yeah. Trisha to come work for Brad. And it's so cool, like, to just to think of everything that you guys have been through and that now you are, like, this great pillar in the family that is, like, you're, you're the moneymaker. You you're the guy. business. Yeah. Like, you're providing for everyone. It's just Do you so ever, awesome. yeah, I agree. Do you ever feel like it's um, compensation for what you put them through? Yeah, I think so. I mean... Yeah, I think initially it was a little bit. Um, I'm just really great. Like it didn't, I'm just grateful it like all has worked out the way it was. Like, I think there was part of that at first, but um, like really I'm just lucky to have both of them now. And it's. Yeah. Yeah. And things are good with your family. Oh, yeah. Like never better. Yeah, like never. it's and not that, that long ago. I know. 2012, yeah. you know, so what, seven, six, six, seven years Seven years, years in, in November, so. Seven year itch. Um, yeah. And just to think of how, how you've built this amazing, successful business after everything you've been through. But even without that, like, you guys have taken off. Like, Key Nutrition is the place to go. But now I get it even more. Yes. Because yeah. I understand, like, hearing him talk, 
I understand that he can relate and coach and talk to someone that understands craving mm -hmm. and habit and, yeah. you know, on a, on a cellular level, like, listen, I really just want to eat that high chew. You know, it's all I can do. Yeah. And then say, sit on your hands. And that is a real feeling. That it's a I real have feeling. Daily. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, and then when he says, like, I was thinking when he said, like, he got to 90 days and he wasn't white knuckling. Because I always say, like, dieting, like, when we're doing keto or mm -hmm. we're doing our programs, we're, like, white knuckling it. Like, we have to think about it constantly. Yeah. It's and like it's a, almost like overcoming an addiction. Yeah. You know, I'm going to yeah. do bad a Bad habits a, and bad foods. A whole podcast on, it, it's so cliche, but for me, it rings so true. Like, I truly like wish every client could just fall in love with, with the process. Like I'm like, and you know, to shift, if you were my client, I'd say, okay. But I think well, you love, you love clients. the fucking entrepreneurial game. Oh, you love totally, the game. Like totally. I love the game. I like, I, I say, I don't care about the money because I'm also not like broke. So right, it's easy yeah, for me to yeah. say, right. right? It's easy to yeah. say when you're making ends meet, it's easy to say, it's not about the money. Yeah. But, and obviously to some degree it is, but I really just know, like, I'm just, I love the game and that pisses my wife off. Cause I'm just like, I'm never fucking retiring. Like I'm addicted <laughs> to the grind of the game. Yeah. Um, like I love the process. I love it. I love my failures. I love the wins. Like I love the losses just as much as the wins because I'm like, fuck, okay, back to the drawing board. Like yeah, that didn't yeah. work. And I think it all stems from just, I fell in love with the process of recovery. Like bit by bit, I started to get my life back. And I think why I can say like, we're truly, I built this business to create like impact. And selfishly, I just wanted to feel that great fulfilling every day because I knew that filled my cup. Yeah, well, Like money was secondary. Lives. And it's, you know, I, the getting sober, it was like bit by bit, I put my life back together and about 18 months or yeah, it was, oh, it was about 18 months sober. I'd started seeing a ton of clients at the low. And to that point, I got the biggest check I'd ever got in my life. To that point. Yeah. And but I had completely enmeshed everything in work. I had put all I'd blown off the guys I was sponsoring. I wasn't going to many meetings. I wasn't doing my recovery stuff. I remember I got that check and I was so miserable. And I just started bawling and I threw it in my back seat. And I was like, fuck, this is what success is supposed to be. And I just, from that moment on, was like, I'm never going to chase money again. And it's funny, when I don't chase the money, it comes. Right. Like, you chase because I put in the work. When you chase the fulfillment, when you chase the meaning behind it. Yeah. And That's so true for us. Yeah. It's why you're a beauty lover. It's why you're a yeah. beauty lover. <laughs> I didn't know you guys just, it's crazy what you guys have done with your business. and. But we're all on the same trajectory. We're all on an emotional payoff here. Yeah. And I think that we're, we both tapped into something that had occurred to us in our lives and we wanted to change it and make it easier for other people because like hearing you talk about your addiction like i feel like you could truly i mean this is i guess what i'm getting out of this just as a as a normal person or semi-normal person <laughs> is like so you're always going to be in recovery so to speak yeah. because you were in full-blown addiction so yeah. then recovery is a lifetime process but recovery has gotten easier and easier and easier for you. And so like, if I'm always going to be in recovery from food addiction, not to minimize or diminish, right. you know, heroin addiction on any level, but then, because I'm always like, I don't want to white knuckle it for the rest of my life. Like I want to have a full life. Well, I food's like, harder. Yeah, food's harder. Because you can't just, like the first step is abstinence. Off, right? I can't, you can't just abstain from, but why well, you can, but it's, it's probably well, not very good for you. will die eventually. <laughs> yeah. But just thinking like, but it will get easier. Because I don't yeah. think I've ever committed to anything for 90 days. Yeah. No, 90 I days. I mean, I did the key nutrition thing for 12 weeks, but how many days is that? 
90. Oh, that is 90. Well, I don't think you came the whole time. <laughs> well, hey, listen, listen, I can, I paid for 12. I came for three. Yeah. So what's wrong with that? <laughs> but you know what? I, you know what I've really gravitated towards you guys about is I think you truly mean it when you guys are like, and I know that because so often you have taken care of me. Like you're, you guys don't accept tips. So yeah. I don't think you are just in it for the money. Yeah, no, yeah. we're definitely not. We're definitely not in it for the money. I mean, tell us, like, we'll tell you why we love you, but, like, tell, why are you a beauty labber? Do you consider yourself a beauty labber? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Why? I love beauty lab. Why? I mean that, too. I could immediately tell just when I walked in that, like, it's the same vibe as Key Nutrition. Yeah, like, I it's agree. we try to create a community and, like, want you to feel comfortable and safe. And, you know, I'm excited to have you guys on my podcast to talk about because I think there was a stigma. I remember the first time I was going to get Botox, I was like, guys, don't talk about this. Now, I have no shame in my fucking game. People are like, you look good. I'm like, got Botox. Yeah. Beauty Lab Laser. Like, what's the stigma? Rather, and that's yeah. what I want to address with you guys on our podcast is the stigma needs to be dropped. Like, yeah. there's nothing yeah. wrong with getting Botox or fillers. Like, and so I, I just, I think you guys... You make everyone feel so comfortable, and I always left there with an ego booth too. You guys are very good at that. <laughs> I love so you, you know, I worship you. But I just watch from afar how you guys run your business, and I'm like, they truly are just. You're not like you understand that customer comes take care of the customer. Like the money will come. Yeah. But like, try to create better impact on people's lives, and I felt that when I went in. Thank you. That's awesome. And That's I love important. your marketing message of like. I, I don't want to walk in and fucking hear Enya and a waterfall. Yeah. And like, I, I, I feel like I can't take a business call. Like, I just don't want to be in that kind of like, yeah, yeah. That and maybe some people that works for it. For me, like, I want to come be able to just be me. And like, when I walk into like a snooty salon, I feel like I have to like cross my legs, which I can't really do. You know what I mean? And I have to sit there and like flip open the magazine. And with yeah. you guys, I can come in, I can talk, I can be me, I, I can, You'll I can swear. You'll post pictures on yeah. the wall for us because we always make you. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, I just, I feel the same kind of um, whole message that you got yeah. that like, we, we I just think it jives like really well. Entrepreneurial kinship. Yeah. yeah. And I've, and it's been a great journey to watch Key Nutrition just take off. And I love swapping ideas with brad and just like learning from key and um we were totally inspired by your podcast and you know now now you're on live love lab go yeah. figure <laughs> i know been inspired by a lot of things well brad i know we got to get you back to your clients but so we're gonna um skip all of our like you know our just the tip and our view live of the week because this was well let oh, me just, sorry. i can do it all in like a route uh, i can wrap it all up like all right. our just the tip is to look up key nutrition and Invest in yourself and don't think that you're a lost cause because like I think I'm a lost cause you're with, in terms of diet nutrition, which is but I have renewed faith right now. So my just the tip this week is to believe in yourself and to call key nutrition and to know that there are people there that will like look out for you and yeah. get you through it and that it will get easier. And we know a lot of the coaches there and they're all amazing. They're all like, amazing. Justin was my coach and he was amazing. We I love loved Ari, him. She's a beauty labber. Oh, that's you. See, his clients are waiting. We got to <laughs> get him Sorry. out. Sorry. No, but, he, you know, we're just going to say Brad Jensen's. Our, no, you know what? Paul Jensen. You're Paul, PJ. Yeah, PJ is our beauty Brad's lab. Brad's brother, Paul, who is also our <laughs> Botox rep at one point and yes. is our dear friend. And for a long time was the silent third partner yes. in Beauty Lab. Yeah. Um, you're our Beauty Lab of the Week for again. introducing us to Brad. Yes. And yeah. for introducing us to um, 
just your whole family. Yeah, and just all of the goodness that you've brought to our lives. So you're our yes. beauty lab for the weekend. Our just the tip is to call Key Nutrition and yes. get on a program. All right, give me a good bash next week, okay, Heather? I'll, I'll give you a double extra bash. Extra dark. Double extra dark. <laughs> double extra dark bash next all week. All right, quickly, Brad, where can we find you? Um, yeah, so on Instagram, it's at the Sober Bodybuilder and at Key Nutrition. Cool. And what pretty about simple. Your website? Just keynutrition.com. Okay. And. Uh, that's where I'm hanging out. Awesome. Or you can text yeah. me at 801. <laughs> we have his person on that. Yeah. Right. You're going to delete those pictures, right? No, we're keeping okay. them all. All right, Brad. You can go put your shirt back on yeah, now and some hands you. if you want to. Yep, you can get yeah. dressed. Thank you again so much for, first of all, having us here at the studio, but second of all, being our special guest today. This was a, Thank you guys. This it was, was a fun. really awesome. Awesome. I feel, podcast. yeah, I, I feel it. cloud nine. I feel I'm, I'm on the pink cloud of recovery yes. right now. Yes. Yeah. Sober Join pink me. Cloud. It's beautiful. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I'm feeling all the feels. All right. So. Well, that's the podcast. Until next week, remember that we'll have. Just yeah, remember, I poor Dre. She's so flabbergasted. <laughs> Paul's Speedo slipped out. Not Paul's. Brad's. Oh, she's... Paul's would be. Sorry. Would be Freudian. Freudian slip. Brad's Speedo slipped down and exposed his tan line, and she got uh, flabbergasted. But she meant to say, remember that the lab loves you. Thank you. She almost said the lab loves glutes. <laughs> The lab, the lab loves you. Stand, stand up and but also, some. life is short. By, By the, the lips. lips.